Hebrews chapter number four. We're in Hebrews chapter four. If you're joining us live this morning, thank you for being with us. We're glad that you're tuning in. Let somebody know on Facebook there or wherever you're watching from uh, that they could tune in with us and be a part of the services. If you're a guest today, thank you for being. I see some family in town. Thank you for coming to church today and and also see some guests here first time. If you're here first time or first time in a long time, we have a gift for you and we want to get a chance to meet you at the end of the service. Come see us in the lobby. We'd love to see you there. If you're online for the first time today, uh, shoot us a message, let us know, and we want to know where you're from. And if we can be a blessing to you, pray for you in any way, let us know. Hebrews chapter 4, as we get into this message today, just a standalone message the Lord put on my heart as I was reading through the book of Hebrews, the best rest is yet to come. The best rest is yet to come. Look at verse number one with me at Hebrews chapter four. Look at what it says. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to fall short of entering into God's rest. I want to know that I know that I know I'm going to heaven. Verse two, for unto us, was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, I have sworn in my wrath if they shall if uh, they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time as it is written, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And I want to echo that statement. If you are here today, uh, today's the day to hear the Lord. Amen. Not tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. Yesterday is too late. Today is the day. Amen. And so let's move on here. Look at verse uh, eight. For if Jesus had given them rest, <clears throat> then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Have you ever heard the phrase, no rest for the wicked? Have you ever heard that phrase before, no rest for the wicked? That comes from Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. How many of you would agree that in this world we live in today, there's very little rest found? There's very little peace. There's very little rest. And people today are searching for peace and the peace of mind. There are apps you can get on your phone that are dedicated to helping you rest and be calm and find peace. And <clears throat> this is the goal of the world today is to find this peace, to find this rest. But in the world, without outside of Jesus Christ, there is no rest available, no ultimate rest. It's an unattainable goal. And while the wicked in this world seek rest and cannot find it, the people of God have unlimited access to his rest. And more than ever, people 
In this room and the people of God around the world, we need rest today. Rest from the daily pressures of life. Can I get an amen? Rest from the onslaught of social problems. Rest from our demanding schedules. Rest from the pressures of work. Rest from the pressures of your day, your duty. Rest from the waves of discouragement life can bring. Rest from the steady flow of negativity and bad news. We need rest. We need rest. Let's take a look at verse 9 again. Would you look at that with me? And let's read it one more time together. And then after we read it, let's all take a sigh of relief. Ready, begin. There remaineth therefore a rest. All right, that was about... No, maybe 40% of you. Let's 100% here. Uh, let's see. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. Ready to begin. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people. Take a deep breath. Hold it. Don't let it out yet. Ah, there we go. Let it out. Hey, there's a rest God's have, God has for you today. I said there's a rest God has for you today. I would say, Pastor, I need rest today. I do too. And there's a rest available to us. May I encourage you today? from Hebrews chapter 4, that there is a rest for the people of God, and the best rest is yet to come. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, one last time, Lord, I ask for your help today. Recognizing, Lord, there are so many things for us to think about. Our plates are full. Lord, our calendars are full. Our families are hurting. Our, our time is precious. Lord, we, we come before you today recognizing how bad we need you. So, Lord, I pray, please, would you work in our hearts. May this prayer not just be a perfunctory prayer that we pray every time. But, Lord, may we come before you today recognizing how badly we need you today. And, Lord, I know there are people here that need rest. Rest in their hearts, rest in their spirits, physical rest, emotional rest. And, Lord, we know that you're the only one that can provide that. So, Lord, we come before you today asking for that rest. Lastly, Father, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would put it on their hearts. Holy Spirit, help them today to feel the conviction. Lord, draw them to yourself and may they be saved today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A story is told of a man who challenged another man. They were both woodsmen. And the one woodsman challenged the other woodsman. He said, hey, let's have a wood chopping contest. So the day started off and they began chopping wood and the goal was to see who could chop, who could, which wood could woodchuck, chuck could a woodchuck. How much wood could they chop in a single day? And so they began chopping wood and the man who challenged the other man started off and he was chopping wood and he took a break here and a break there and then he took his lunch and took another break and another break. The other man who he challenged, boy, he was ready to beat this guy. And so he said, I'm not taking any breaks. And he just started chopping wood like crazy. Chop, and he's chopping wood. And he stopped real quick for lunch, but that was it. And he just kept going. And at the end of the day, they, it came time to see who chopped the most wood. And sure enough, the man who issued the challenge chopped much more wood than the other guy. And the guy who issued the challenge, who took a lot of breaks, uh, was sitting there with his wood pile. And the guy came up to him and he said, man, he goes, I don't understand. He goes, I want, every time I look over at you, you're taking a break. And you're, he goes, how is it that you chopped more wood than I did? And the guy said, well, you didn't notice what I was doing on my break. He said, I was sharpening my axe. And in our lives, oftentimes, we work harder, and we do more, and we work harder, and we do more, and it seems like we're not getting anywhere. And there's times in our life where we need rest. We just need it. We live in a society today where 
People are burning the candle at both ends over a fireplace. I mean, we're working hard. We're commuting. We're, we're on our phone. We're on business. And I understand uh, about being busy. I understand all those things. And I'm not talking about being lazy. What I'm talking about today is sometimes we just need rest. I find it interesting in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. The word rest is used 11 times. And those 11 times, the word rest is used in a different context in several different places. For instance, if you look at verse 3, look at verse 3 with me of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. He said, I have sworn in my wrath that they will enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. That particular rest comes from the word rest, meaning abode, to rest in God, a rest in Him. It's talking about heaven. And aren't you glad today that someday when you close your eyes in death and you open your eyes and you see the lovely Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to pick you up in His arms and He's going to hold you and for eternity you're going to rest in God. How many looking forward to that day? That's that word. It's talking about the rest of God then in verse 4, it's a different kind of rest. Look at verse 4. It says, For he spake in a certain place on the seventh day, and this wise, God did rest the seventh day from his works. That particular rest, it means to secede or to cease from working. And in our lives, oftentimes, we have a hard time turning off work, don't we? And we bring homework with us on the laptop, and we have it on our phones. But what God did, what he modeled for us, is he stopped his work, and on the seventh day, he what? He rested. He put aside a time to rest. So that's a different kind of rest. But then in verse 9, I find a very interesting rest. Look at verse 9. It says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. The word rest in verse 9 is translated from a different word that is in verse 3. They both mean rest in the context of Scripture. You don't need to go back and learn about this. It's just interesting to me. And the word rest in verse 9, it comes from the word that we get the word sabbatical from. The word sabbatical is a word you would say if you're going to take an extended vacation. And how many say, Pastor, I could use a sabbatical today, amen? And just a, some time off, I mean, a, a, some time. And here's what this word is saying. It's saying that there is a rest or a sabbatical available to the people of God. Because you and I, when we get saved here on earth, we still deal with life. We still go to work and we still have to do the things that need to be done. But in God, in Christ, we can rest in Him even though we're waiting for our final rest. This word rest has the connotation of a repose, a long-term sabbatical available to us. I believe what God is showing us here is, in, of course, in His perfect preserved Word of God. He's showing us here there's a rest reserved to the people of God while here on earth. Yes, the best rest is yet to come, but God has a rest for us here on earth. Isn't that what Jesus said? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will what? I will give you rest, for my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Think about this. God, who doesn't have to rest, after creating the universe in six days, spent one-seventh of his time resting. He was showing us how much rest is important to him. If you go back to the Old Testament and you study uh, the nation of Israel, you will find that rest was important to God. Take your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter 23. Ma Matthew, Mark, Luke, Exodus. No, it's Genesis, Exodus. And that's back in the Old Testament. And uh, Genesis, Exodus, look at Exodus chapter 23. 
Notice, hold your place where you're at in Hebrews. I hope, hope I, I probably said that too late, but that's okay. We'll go back there in a moment. But he, Exodus chapter number 23, we see here where God is explaining to the nation of Israel the importance of rest. And he says, and look at Exodus 23, look at verse 10. And six years thou shalt sow thy land and gather in the fruits thereof. But in the seventh year thou shalt let it, what? Rest and lie still that the poor of thy people may eat, and that they may leave the beasts of the field they shall eat. In like manner, thou shalt deal with thy vineyard and with thy olive yard. What God was teaching his people was, listen, the land needs rest. You need rest. There's in times and, and pla- there's a time and a place for rest. Now, I want to ask you a question. In that time period, if your livelihood was from growing a crop, what would that mean for you on the seventh year? You wouldn't make any money. Rest is valuable enough to God for him to ask his people not to make any money on the seventh year so that they could rest and let the land rest. But also think about this. If your job was to farm and you weren't allowed to farm the seventh year, what does that mean for you that year? You get to what? Some of you are catching on. You get to rest. Amen. Rest is important to God. And in a culture today with a heavily emphasized uh, uh, on materialism where it's more and more. You need to make more. You need to have more. Your car is not nice enough. You need a new car. And your house isn't big enough. You need a nicer house. And those clothes, and you need this, and you need, and you need to have more and more. And I'm not talking about working hard. We all are supposed to work hard. And we're supposed to provide for our own, the Bible says. The Bible says a man that provideth not for his own is worse than an infidel. I said a man that doesn't provide for his own is worse than an infidel. And it might be time for some to, to work harder. But when it comes to resting, God is very pointed to rest here. And in this culture with overtime and side jobs and side gigs, and sometimes if we're not careful, we don't take the time to rest that we need. And guess what suffers when we don't rest? Our family suffers. Our spiritual life suffers. Our church suffers when we don't rest in God. So there's several different types of rest we're talking about today, not just talking about physical rest, but spiritual rest and emotional rest and all of these things. Benjamin Franklin said this, he that can take rest is greater than he that can take cities. And sometimes it's true. We need to learn how to rest. I think that every person here in this room, no doubt, everyone here in this room feels the need to rest. Maybe not a five-year-old. It doesn't seem like they ever want to rest. Last night, Callum comes in the room and and I don't know where he got this in his head, but in his head, he thinks that he gets to sleep in mom and dad's room every seven days. I don't know where that came from, but he always comes and he goes, hasn't it been a week, dad? Hasn't it been a week? And so uh, last night we let him sleep on the floor. And, you know, I'm trying to fall asleep and, and I could hear him, you know, messing around with stuff like a little rat in my room, <laughs> playing with paper. And, and I'm like, Callum, go to sleep, you know, and uh, but maybe the five-year-old doesn't need to rest. But most people in the room today need rest. And all God's people said, I hope you recognize today that you need rest, and God wants you to rest. And so today, I want to give you two thoughts, two quick thoughts on rest that I hope will encourage you. The first thought is this, number one, is there is rest in the gospel here. So here on earth, there is rest found in the gospel. Look at verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest Any of you should come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with what? Not being mixed with faith. So they heard the gospel, 
but it didn't help them because they didn't mix it with faith. Now, I notice in verse 1, it says, let us what? Therefore. So whenever you see the word therefore, you should look and find out what it's therefore. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 3 and find out why this word is there. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3, which is one chapter from where we are now. Hebrews chapter 3. And let's find out why does the writer of Hebrews say, let us therefore fear. Why does he say, therefore? He's talking about something. Go back to Hebrews 3. Look at verse 8. And here's what the writer says. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of the temptation in the wilderness. If you look at the Old Testament, the Jews were brought out of Egypt. How many remember the plagues? I remember the plagues. And he brought them out of Egypt. And then they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their what? Their lack of faith and unbelief. And so he says, harden not your hearts, verse 8, as in that day, the provocation and the temptation of the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. Wherefore, here's why he's grieved. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart. They're always erring in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Even after 40 years of watching me work and providing the manna from heaven and, and giving them the quail. I said whale this morning at the first service. He didn't give them whales, so he gave them quails. After the, I'll say it again. After the quails and, and after the rock and after the pillar in the day and after the plagues, all of these things, and they still had a heart of unbelief. God was grieved because of that. And notice what he says in verse 11. So I swear in my wrath, God says, that word swear doesn't mean he cussed. It means he promised. He says, I promise in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. We see here that God's rest is not guaranteed to all. That's why in Hebrews chapter number four, verse one, it says, let us fear lest we fall short of that promise. You see, not everyone is going to enter into God's rest. It's a conditional thing. Not everyone is. And that's why we're doing our Christmas production this year outside. Because not everyone's going to enter into his rest. And it is our business to make sure everyone hears the gospel. And all God's people said, it's important. But there is a condition. And what is the condition? Letter A here, we see that rest is conditional. This beautiful, wonderful, peaceful, forgiving, loving, amazing rest in the gospel is available to every single person. But this gospel rest is conditional. Number one, why is it, how is it conditional? Number one, we see that rest is contingent on faith in God. If you look back at Hebrews chapter number three, verse 10, it says, wherefore I was grieved with that generation. They always err in their heart. Why? Because they have not known my ways. And then in Hebrews 4.2, he says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. Why? Why was the gospel not profitable? Because it was not mixed with faith. You see, faith is the condition that we must meet to enter into his rest, here on earth and in heaven. After the plagues in Egypt, think about that. Think about God performing the seven plagues in front of your eyes. After pulling you out of Egypt, after parting the Red Sea, after being fed the manna, after all of these things, they were still had hearts of unbelief. They still murmured and complained. God, and before we get too hard on them, 
we do the same thing. God, what's going on? I know you've provided for me all 36 years of my life, but what are you going to do now? We do the same thing. But we see here that when it comes to the faith, the saving faith, salvation faith, this is contingent upon entering into this rest. I think there are many people sitting in churches today. They see God's amazing creation all around them. They have the perfect, preserved, inspired word of God in front of them. They even see that God provides, protects, and does many amazing things for them, and still they do not know his ways. Some sit in church and they refuse to put their faith in God. I think about young people who grow up in church sometimes. They see the faith of their parents. They see the faith of their grandparents. They see God doing things, and yet they still refuse. They don't know his ways. And may I say today, there are many who claim to be Christians, who claim to know God, who claim to go to church, and who claim, I'm a Christian, and just like these Israelites, they claim to be God's people, but their heart is as hard as a rock. You say, Pastor, how can that be? May I just say today that there are people that will tell you they're a Christian, but they are going to hell when they die. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus said that. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 7. Look what Jesus said. In Matthew 7, this isn't my opinion. I didn't think this up. I'm not smart enough for that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, saith unto Jesus, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many, many, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Jesus, listen, haven't I said in your name? Haven't I done these things in your name? Haven't I professed that I'm a Christian in your name? And Jesus says, and I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. My question to you today is, do you know God? Do you know him today? Are you like the Jew who's seen all that God has done and your heart is still hard? It's a condition for entering into that rest is having faith in God. God said, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. It's contingent upon our faith. But number two, rest is contingent on forgiveness. You can't have one without the other. Faith brings forgiveness and you cannot have forgiveness without faith. Look at verse 12. Take heed, brethren lest there be any of you of the heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The most deceptive, listen to the statement, the most deceptive, the most conniving, the most devious thing on earth is not the media. It's not CNN. Sorry to burst your bubble, amen? No, the most deceitful thing on earth is our own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 said it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says that we're all sinners. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned. There is none righteous. No, not one. But because our hearts are deceitful, we don't see our sin for what it is. Oftentimes we don't get to enter into God's rest. We never get to come to a saving faith. Folks don't get to come to a saving faith because of this phrase, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as uh, this guy. Uh, and sometimes we don't, and, and because of our hearts are desperately wicked, 
We don't think that they're that we're that bad. But here's the thing: you are that bad, and so am I. We're all sinners. We're all desperately wicked. We all need forgiveness. And who's the only one that can forgive us? Millions of people around the world this past week sat in a box and told another man, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. And the stark reality is their sins are not forgiven because men do not have that power. The only being in the universe that has the power or the right to forgive us of our sins is God. Mark 2, 7, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? They told Jesus he was blaspheming because he gave forgiveness to someone. Why do you speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Take your Bibles, go to 1 John chapter number 1. Here's the good news today. Yes, we're all sinners, but the good news today is that our sins are forgiven. I could do nothing about my sin, and neither can you. Our sins are forgiven. I love these verses. First John, look at verse number seven. First John chapter one, verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I said it cleanseth us from all sin. It wipes and it washes and it cleanses us from that sin. If we say we have no sin, again, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. My sin is forgiven. And today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, You can do nothing about your sin, but I know somebody who can. Jesus Christ can. He died on that cross for you and for me, and his blood was shed, and it flowed for you and for me because he knows I can't do anything about my sin, but he did something for your sin. It's forgiven today. Oh, I don't know about you, but that's some place where I can stop and shout for a while because I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner, as wicked as sinners get, but my sin is forgiven and so is yours. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. Why? So that I could be forgiven. Can I ask you a question today? Are you going to heaven? Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? You only, that, those are the only two options you have. Some people today, millions of people are deceived in believing that there is a third direction. There is no third direction. There's a heaven and there is a hell. I said, there is a heaven. And there is a hell. There is no purgatory. There is no other direction. There is no reincarnation. There are no second chances. There isn't 12-step program after you die. It is you die, and you either spend eternity in heaven or you spend eternity in hell. That is the stark truth of God's word this morning. You can go to another church that will tell you that there's another direction. But we preach the Bible, and the Bible says that there's a heaven and there's a hell. Which one are you going to this morning? You say, Pastor, I don't know. I have no idea. Then it's time to accept that forgiveness. You see, the writer of Hebrews said, the gospel was unprofitable to them. I want to ask you today, is this message profitable or unprofitable to you? You have to mix it. Nobody can force you to have faith in God. Your parents can't. Your pastor can't. Nobody can. And so today, I want to challenge you. Maybe you're here today, and I, I, my goal today is not to hurt anyone or to scare anyone. My goal here today is for you to think about your eternity. You see, this rest 
is contingent on faith and forgiveness. I took B out of the notes. I don't have time to preach this, but the rest is, is comprehensive. This rest is comprehensive. May I just say that is when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are all forgiven, brother. Let me tell you something. There's nothing about you that's not forgiven. You say, well, pastor, you don't understand. I I don't want to come to Christ today because uh, you don't know my past. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what I'm into. Oh, it doesn't matter because he knows and he still died on the cross for you. And even if you are the only person that Jesus died on the cross for, your sin will be comprehensively forgiven. And all God's people said, amen, come to Christ. You can't do anything about that sin anyways. You might as well bring it to the cross. And so it's comprehensive. I don't have time to preach that, but lastly today, there is rest in the gospel here. But number two, there is rest in glory there. Take your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter four, look at verse nine. There what remaineth? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. God not only gives us a rest here in the peace of God, and by the way, the peace of God passes all understanding. The world cannot understand the peace of God. The worst thing in the world can happen to you, and you can have God's peace in your life. But there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into this rest hath also ceased from their own works, as God did from his. Let us labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Yesterday, or not yesterday, but last last week, I ate Thanksgiving dinner, and I loved it. How many of you gained some weight over the last couple of days? Amen. I'm telling you, I made this mistake this morning. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to do it. She said, you're going to do what? I said, I'm going to weigh myself. She goes, don't do it. And I got the scale. And sure enough, I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Amen. Should have waited a couple of days. But I ate Thanksgiving dinner, man. I sat down. It was so good. I'm telling you, brother, I'm telling you, my wife knows how to cook, man. I tell you, it's a miracle I'm not 300 pounds. And man, she brought out that food and it was, the turkey was hot. It was brown to perfection. It was moist and juicy. And boy, she made this brown gravy. I'm telling you, it, you could drink that stuff, brother. I'm telling you, I, I yams with, with, with marshmallows on top and, and brown rolls with butter. And I'm talking green bean casserole with, with these crunchy little onion things. I'm telling you, it was, it was something else, brother. And I sat down and I ate and I ate and I ate brother Renison. I couldn't, I couldn't take another bite. And I sat there and brother Roger was there. Roger Spreadbro was there and we're sitting there eating. He, he leans back in his chair and I land back in my chair and I started to hyperventilate. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And so I leaned back in my chair and I was so happy. I mean, I was getting sleepy and it was good, man. It was good. And then my wife said something to me. She said, are you ready for pies now? And I said, bring it on, baby. Amen. And so then I ate more pie. And uh, I had that, t- that Thanksgiving turkey and all that stuff. And that was all amazing. But the best was yet to come. Amen. May I say we experienced the gospel here. And the gospel is amazing. I said the gospel is amazing. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm forgiven. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I have someone to talk to when I'm lonely. I'm glad I have someone to talk to when I'm hurting. I'm glad I have someone to pray to when I mess up to get forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I love coming to church, and I love singing songs, and I love reading my Bible, and I love the gospel. I love being a Christian. I love having Jesus in my heart. I love all that, but I want to tell you something. The best, the best rest is yet to come. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. I want to tell you something. There's coming a day when you're going to enter into his rest. You know what? Some of you want to be there right now. Are you listening? Some of you would rather. You're like, Paul, I want to go now. I'm done. Take me, Lord. But I want to say something to you this morning. God has something for you to do. 
God has something for you to do. There remaineth therefore a rest. Yes, life can be enjoyable, fun, and exciting, but the best rest is yet to come. Yes, we labor and we toil and we sweat and we get tired and we're weary, but the best rest is yet to come. Yes, we enjoy our family and our friends on earth. And yes, sometimes we're hurt and we, we feel that pain sometimes, but the best rest is yet to come. Yes, we get tired and we struggle with our flesh and we get sick of our sin and we get sick of sickness and disease and we're tired and we're weary, but the best rest is yet to come. Take your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 21. I'll give you one more verse and then I'll close. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, Pastor, I'm tired. I'm beat up. I'm worn out. Maybe today coming to church, it, was, it took everything you had. <laughs> it just took everything you had. And I understand. Just trying to find your, your, your tie or your shoes or whatever and get into church. I understand. It's, you're tired. I get it. I want to encourage you with one last scripture. Look at Revelation 21. Look at verse 1. And I saw what? A new heaven. And a what? A new earth. I said a new heaven and a new earth. That word heaven's talking about our sky. Because of global warming, we're not going to need this. We're going to need a new heaven. Amen. A new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. All the sickness, the sin curse, all the problems, all the issues were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for his husband. Jesus said to you and to me, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would have told you, hey, for the last thousands of years, Jesus has been preparing a place for you that we can rest. Verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he, and he will dwell with them, and he shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And I love this part. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Hey, come on. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow, no more crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, said. Now, this isn't just Joe Blow. This is God himself. He said, behold, I make all things new. The best rest is yet to come. And he said unto me, write for the words, for these words are true and faithful. Oh, listen today, church family. No, there is no rest for the wicked, <laughs> but there is a rest for the people of God. And the best rest is yet to come. Let's pray together. Every head bowed and every eye closed.